Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. So if you read my speech, and many people have done it, and I've seen it both uh, in the papers and in the media, on television, uh, it's been analyzed, and people thought that what I said was totally appropriate. <laughs> yeah, get the <laughs> that hook. That was the, uh, the President of the United States this morning. Uh, uh, we haven't heard from him because he has no social media platform anymore. Uh, but uh, not surprisingly, uh, he thinks that inciting a riot, a riot is is totally appropriate um, yeah yeah everybody says you know he was the piece regular gandhi uh you know he everybody i love this everybody said people are saying well, <laughs> yeah people that's are his saying big, that's his out. go-to move yeah hey you know guess what speaking of gandhi guess who's with us today uh he's oh, in the, I, lotus, the other he's gandhi. sitting there yeah, in the lotus haircut. position yeah yeah here john he heilman yes hi guys how are you brother I'm good. I'm feeling very. Um, I'm trying to emulate Brother Gandhi and not be uh, incandescent with rage, basically 24 hours a day at this point. Um, so, I, like, I, I reflect on my on my Buddha, on Buddhist principles to try to keep my blood pressure in a manageable place. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be a man of peace, but I find myself googling how many machine guns do the Capitol Police have as I read about all this internet chatter about whatever they they've got planned next. It's unbelievable. So here we are in the aftermath of a, a truly horrific and historic event. But the, the question is, was it an event or is, are, you know, are we still in the midst of it? Uh, we've got an inauguration coming up in a uh, little more than a week. Um, and there are literally the discussions about whether the capital can be secured. And uh, I mean, we're in a bad place, guys. We're, we're, we're in a bad place. And, um, you know, you look at the Heilman, why don't you read a little, the Quinnipiac poll kind of confirmed a bunch of what Luntz sent out yesterday, but you sent me a text last night that Murphy, it should chill all of us, but it should uh, concern you deeply. I sent it to Mike too, you know, I mean, I, and again, I say with due respect for our friend Frank Luntz, um, you know, not maybe not always considered the most always rigorous of, of people in the poll. Well, that's business. why I threw Quinnipiac in there too. But, 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 but look, but, but the number, I think these are, these numbers though, I strike me as wholly believable, you know, these Luntz numbers, 78% agree with Donald Trump's claims that the election was stolen. Of Trump voters. This is just Trump voters, okay? 78% of Trump voters agreeing with his claims that the election was stolen. 61% saying they, quote, will never again trust the results of our American elections. 64% agreeing that, quote, the traditional American way of life is disappearing so fast that we may have to use force to save it. And then these questions. How would you describe the protesters? Domestic terrorists, 37%. Patriots, 24%. Neither, 38%. And then the more troubling... Who is the most responsible for the storming of the U.S. Capitol? Again, we're talking about Trump voters here. Antifa, 21%. That's the leading. That's the biggest number, Antifa. Democrats, 17%. So that gets us to 40, That gets us to 38% who thinks some combination of the left caused the thing last week. Trump supporters, 12%. News media, 11%. And at the very bottom of the list, Donald J. Trump at 11%. And I, you know, 
I think every like every sign, David, to your answer your question, that this poll answers it in some sense. We're this is not the end of anything. You know, this is not an event last week. This is just the latest and most terrifying and ominous and foreboding symptom of the fact that the country is closer to being in a state of actual civil war than it's been since the first than the, than the original civil war. I just genuinely believe that. I think it's not, you know, we've what we used to describe as 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 the increasing tend towards polarization in our politics. When you combine it now with the conspiracy theorizing that Donald Trump has propagated that have taken hold on much of the right for a, a large part of the right after an election in which Donald Trump has convinced tens of millions of people is fund illegitimate. And we have a nation where, you know, we are wildly armed, wildly overarmed. And last year, the gun sales spiked, you know, in an astonishing way in the middle of COVID. And, you know, someone pointed out that, you know, the last time I had a big gun spike, um, a big gun sale spike, it was because people were concerned Obama was going to take away their guns. That was the meme that that, that the gun industry uh, propagated. Now it's people are preparing for civil unrest. Like there's a gun, there's guns. People are buying guns because they think we are going to be potentially at war. That's not a small, I'm not saying that's everybody, but it's, there's, you know, if you go around America and talk to people, this is a prevailing view. I don't know, Mike, I know you, yeah, I'm, I'm not more optimistic. I know. No, I just, I'm not quite there. Um, I I would say a couple of things. I know a lot about this gun stuff. Um, every time guns are in the headline, gun sales go up, be it a horrible shooting, I'm sure gun sales are spiking like crazy now, held back only by COVID and the access to retail stores. And that's that's a dark little corner of America. But when people get scared, they instantly try to buy guns. And we have laws in most places that make it pretty easy. Um, so I, I agree with that. I I agree that we are in a moment of national crisis with this polarization. I, I read the polling. It's all true, but there are cracks in it. One, it's got to cook for a while. Uh, two, it was interesting to me that only 24% of the Trump voters said they were patriots. Now, on one hand, that's a shocking, horrible number. It should be 0%. But sometimes there are unspoken things on polls. And I think you, you've kind of got a little of the Trump fandom here spouting off in the tribe. But but I think the long-term trend can be positive here if we address it as a country. So I'm not I'm not quite on the road to civil war but let's get through this inaugural. That could be a big tipping place if we do it peacefully. Because now you've got a lot of bloviating on social media. And social media is such a hard signal because it's both true and inflated. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't want to call myself an optimist because I, I take this very seriously. And I think we're in the biggest kind of political social crisis of the country, this polarization and the way that Trump has let the the rabid animals out of the cage and taken away the barriers of normalcy. It's huge. It's bigger than Watergate. It's really big. It's um, and and big actions have to be taken. But I'm not quite at the brink of civil war theory here. And I think some of this stuff will cool down. And Biden's exactly the right guy as president in terms of vibe and temperament to do it. So you know, maybe I'm optimistic about well, what that. What about but. the civ- what about civil war within your own party, Mike? Well, that that and- is a definitely alive and well. And I'll tell you, you know, we were seven weeks ago. We never Trump Republicans. I've been never Trump since New Jersey when I was working for Whitman back in the 90s. Uh, you know, we were the Belgian Navy. I mean, we were able to put some real money at our vet into some of the states that popped. And so we think we were part of the campaign. 
but very few people in public. Now, I mean, there's a letter coming out with over 100 of us calling for immediate resignation. You actually have some members of Congress. I know it's small, but, you know, it's about a 7,000% increase from where we were a few weeks ago, sparked by this event. So we're going to have a civil war now. Before, you know, you and I, David, would argue about would there even be one. Now there is going to be one. Uh, and, and we're see. So I am in, from a dark corner uh, in this fight in the Republican Party. Uh, the, Trump is now transparently uh, an anti-patriot. Um, I'd say a seditionist and a traitor and a madman. And he's leaving office, which will take away part of the platform. Twitter did the Lord's work. So I don't know. I, uh, the war is coming, and I feel a little better about our ragtag uh, group of rebellion we're seeing he's a he's a uh, he's all the things you describe with a 71 percent approval rating among republicans 73 percent think the election was do you, do you fraudulent think one year from now he'll have a 70 percent approval rating among republican voters i don't i don't know i don't know the answer to that i i suspect not and i think that you know there there'll be events that will can you know unfurl but there'll be a there is a component there's about a, thir- a third of this country that is um, oh, in, I agree. In, in his thrall. And, um, you know, this is what these, you know, I assume, I mean, maybe there are some wackadoodles among the 147, you know, the QAnon lady or something, uh, who believe that, actually believe the crap that they said on the floor last Wednesday. But most of them were responding to a either fear of uh, primaries. Or right. actually, fear, fear for their lives. Listen to this tape from uh, uh, this uh, Rep. Uh, Meyer, just elected from Michigan, the the scion of a, a wealth a, of a big supermarket family. They're well known in Michigan, Republican, uh, who uh, has taken a stand against the president on all of this. Listen to what he said the other day. The folks who have been duped, um, who have been you know told things by people that they trusted, uh, that weighs heavily on, on all of us. I mean, that is something that I'm extremely concerned about. And again, I, I realize, you know, I was one of nine freshmen who voted um, to uphold the election and not to vote to overturn. Uh, my colleagues have been harassed on the street. Uh, they've had mobs swarm them at airports. Um, some of them have had death threats and are currently under armed protection. You know, we realized that was a vote that we cast uh, that put our, our safety at risk. And going forward, you know, I'm expecting there will likely be more political violence. And so, you know, my expectation and the expectation of some folks I'm talking to who are trying to vote our conscience on this is that there will be folks who try to kill us. That is a phenomenal statement. And by the way, our, uh, uh, Gibbs uh, shared with me that uh, he, he had heard that um, members were told today that... Um, that bulletproof vests are fully deductible now uh, for members of Congress. This is the fucking United States of America, man. I mean, this is unthinkable. And, you know, we've crossed a Rubicon here. And the question is, how do we get back? And I I think you're right, Mike, that, um, you know, Biden has the temperament and the appreciation for democratic institutions uh, that is is very very useful at this moment, important at this moment. But you know there is a what what is so clear and is becoming more clear. And you know I think it's not news, but it's 
but it is coming in starker relief is the conversation in this in this right-wing world on social media is um is is really uh cancerous yeah uh, look, and it, dangerous it, it is a it, it is a and it is a wider thing. It is the stupidification of our pop culture, where it's all about cage fighting and, and screaming housewives of Orange County or whatever. I mean, this is all part of a decline. And Trump has put ripping up the guide rails of normalcy on, on Miracle Grow. And, you know, he he has allowed the millions Should of people. Should use him on his who, head, but that's who, beside the point. Let's <laughs> who think this way to to get a badge of legitimacy they never had before. That's the real problem. They think they're heroes. They yeah. think they're saving the They think the they're patriots. Right. And the President of the United States is telling them they are. And that has been the breakthrough point that is has, has released this hurricane and now we got to do it. And I mean we got and it's going to be a huge effort and it's going to take the Dems too. It's not their fault, but the only national democratic politician and the perception's reality. I don't, you know, true or false Unfortunately, that's another question. But Biden's the only national Democratic politician that, you know, white guys who work, make a living with their hands doesn't think sort of despises them. So there's got to be a welcome mat there. I mean, it's just this has to work on so many levels because uh, it's a cultural thing that's been put on evil steroids by Trump. Let me ask uh, let me ask you guys what you think about what what is happening. As we speak, the Rules Committee is debating a resolution calling on the vice president to uh, execute the 25th amendment and remove uh, the, the president it, that's expected uh, to uh, not move the vice president. They have no power to move the vice president on this. So they'll move on to impeachment uh, tomorrow. And there's this tension uh, and I'm sure it, you know, in Biden land, they're thinking about it and so on. Uh, you know, the, the tension is, between holding the president of the United States accountable for an act of sedition, the likes of which we have never seen in the history of this country. Yeah, Bernard McDonald is George Washington by comparison. I mean, this right. is real traitor stuff. Right. Uh, and uh, but knowing that, I mean, I, I think it is a um, you know, and there is this also this fear that you know, two weeks before he left office, he's touched off a riot. There, no one quite knows what he might do in the next seven days. There, there's a desire to get him out of office. It's pretty clear to me that's not going to happen. Uh, and so the question is, what is the what are what are what are the political calculations here? What there are there are constitutional demands, which is to hold him accountable. There are political ups and downs to going down this road. Are there not? I mean, I'm just I'm not doing this just to invite shitty tweets uh, against me. <laughs> Twitter, tell them what you think. Well, Heilman, what what you're out there doing actual reporting while we're here? Um, what what's your take on the on the state of play there? Then I'll weigh in with my two cents. Let, let me I, first of all, I just want to go back and just I want to temper my original comment just to ever so slightly, which is to say, Mike, just to be clear, I don't think we're on the brink of civil war. I think that we are certainly potentially on the brink of an era of of political violence. As yeah, the I totally agree. suggested where where political violence becomes routine um, and regular and not. And not unusual. And I have lived in countries where, you know, my my commute to to work would be on a weekly basis in in London in the in the early nineties where the IRA would set off a bomb in 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 the in the London tube on a weekly basis and I'd have to figure out how to get to work like for with some regularity. It's a weird thing to live in a world like that. And 
and the and, and disturbing and disconcerting. And I think we're headed into a period where political violence is be, is going to be more frequent in America. So that mm-hmm. just in and of itself, David, to your point, like the, not the America that that we've been Listen, used to. Listen, just can I just time. interrupt for one second just to amplify your point? I'm the son of an immigrant. My father came from Eastern Europe. His yeah. home was blown up. Yeah, just because he was Jewish, uh, yeah. the mob ruled. Uh, there were there were bodies in the street. You know. Uh, religious assassinations, political assassinations, uh, and his. My family came here because this was the United States of America. There was the rule of law, and there were institutions. It wasn't perfect, but it was so much better. And um, you know, it, it 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 rips me up to see this. You know, it really yes. does. And that and that's kind of my point about the guns, Mike. Is just to say, you know, it's. The, 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 there's lots of things that go on with gun sales for sure, but an increasingly heavily armed populace where political violence is becoming more of the is on the trend line. And what we've seen, this goes back to this fundamental debate about Trump cause or Trump symptom. And I'm, I've been for a long time now in the camp of Trump symptom, not Trump cause. Donald Trump's going to go away, but we have seen in the last 30 years of our collective experiences reporting on this stuff, running campaigns in this environment, we've seen this polarization and the bitterness and the partisanship, despite the efforts of very talented politicians who ran against it, people like Bill Clinton, people like George W. Bush, people like Barack Obama, who all sort of said the same thing was we have to end all this. We have to do better and bring the country together. We have to be we have to unify and and be disagree without being disagreeable and and all of that stuff. They were anti-polarization presidents who all won two terms and each one of them left office with the country more polarized than when they came in, despite their best efforts and all their talents. And that tells you something about how deeply baked in the cake this is. We're on a bad trend line and trajectory that is not just about the last four years of Donald Trump. And so I agree. I think, Mike, you may be right that Donald Trump will go away and that he will not have the voice. And I think last week last week actually light, increased the likelihood that Trump becomes irrelevant um, in the, in the, within six months or a year or whatever. He doesn't have the platform anymore. But the trend lines are still there. And so, David, to your the actual question you asked is, I, is I, you know, I was up there. I was on the Capitol. I was up at, at the Capitol within about an hour and a half after uh, that insurrection broke out last week. I was not there at the height of the violence, but I was up there for a couple hours from about four o'clock to when the curfew kicked at six. And those people were very proud. They walked, they were, they felt they had achieved something. You listen to right. people talking Heroes. about how yep. they were there. They said, we came here to stand up for something. We fought for something that mattered, not just Donald Trump, but they were there to fight what they thought was the fight of their lives. And they went home, whether they were people who actually were the ones in the military tactical gear who had the zip ties and were armed and were going to maybe kill or kidnap members of Congress. The larger fray around it, who were milling around outside there, those guys got on planes and went home and were like telling war stories to their friends about how great it was they stormed the Capitol. And that is not a, a thing that's confined to a small number of people. I'm not saying it's a majority opinion. It's clearly not or even a large plurality opinion. But eras of political violence can start because all you need is thousands, let alone millions of people who start to build, have lose faith in the fundamental legitimacy of the democracy and start to see the other side as enemies. As right, that's tra- the thing. Yeah, that, that, went- that You get there and you add in the, the, the into that cocktail all of these guns and you could get into a very ugly place very fast. And so... The short-term thing that we have beyond this long-term thing is what's going to happen between now and Wednesday. Yeah. You know, now all the people who rang the alarm bell before last Wednesday have all come out and said, "Hey, we saw all this stuff online. We tried to tell you. We called the FBI. The New York, the New York cops called 
the Capitol Hill cops. People were like, hey, something bad's going to happen on Wednesday, and they got ignored. Now at least the lights are on and people are paying attention. But you hear military people on television saying they're worried that Washington, D.C. next week will be will be potentially be open to street warfare. You know, and, and there's not there's not alarmist um political pundits. I'm talking about like Jet Barry McCaffrey, you know, people who've seen combat. So what's going to happen over these next few days is genuinely, I think, terrifying. And David, to your point, finally, to get to your answer to your question about the politics of it, I do think, you know, that everyone acknowledges Trump's not going anywhere. He's a, he's a clear and present danger between now and next Wednesday. We don't know what he's going to do. I do think most of these votes on are, are being driven by the notion, the fundamental thing, which is not really about a political calculation. And I know people are trying to introduce what will it do to Biden's agenda and how do we time the Senate trial and all that stuff. Those are all questions. But I think what's animating most Democrats and I think more Republicans than we know who will end up voting for this, both in the House and eventually in the Senate if it goes to trial. Yeah, including Liz Cheney. She may vote. She's indicated for the impeachment. We'll see. Yes. I think what's animating most of them is there's what is it? It is just about precedent and history at this point. You can't you can't have a situation in which a president, sitting president of the United States has engaged in incitement to insurrection in which the seat of government was seized and not impeach that. I will say, I will say, motherfucker. In this case, you know, how can you not do that? Yeah, yeah, you got to maintain that standard. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, I agree with this. I agree with this. My, I think the tactical mistake Democrats made was uh, making the argument that we're doing this because he has to be removed from office because he's a danger. Because they're not going to do that, and the fact that they're not going to do that makes it look like it's more political. Uh, I think you, the argument you just made is the argument, the one and only argument that should be made is the president of the United States cannot be responsible for orchestrating an attack on the U.S. Capitol, an insurrection, and pay no price for it. It has to be noted in the annals of history through the actions of the Congress to hold him accountable that this was an act of treachery. And, uh, you know, it, it was a violation of his oath. I totally believe that. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nauseous, nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, you, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. 
then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Trump's talking about the speech. The speech was obviously a speech that was incitement. You know, you watch the speech, you read the speech, everything he did that day was inciting this thing, but it is two months of... Put a pin right there because we have a bit of tape from September that I want you guys to listen to. Win, lose, or draw in this election, will you commit here today for a peaceful transferal of power after the election? And there has been rioting in Louisville, there's been rioting in many cities across this country, red and your so-called red and blue states. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transferal of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but people are rioting. Do you commit oh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it, and you know who knows it better than anybody else. The Democrats know it better than anybody else. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. So to, that 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 amplifies your point, John. The reality is that what we now know about the about this event that happened last Wednesday is it, it was not obviously it wasn't a protest it wasn't even a riot and I it is it's, it's called an insurrection even stopped short Donald Trump did everything over the course of the last year to tee up and instruct his 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 followers to engage in an attempted coup that's what they were trying to do it is that there if you look at comparative politics you look at what what, yeah, what yeah. qualifies no, I think that's loud so clear. that's what and it's been months of this and particularly the period from election night. To today, it, this is just it, it, you can't call it anything other than that. And so I think that's the thing, David. It's not just that he gave a bad speech or that he did a bad job with the video or he incited people on the day of. It's that this was a calculated campaign to try to overturn the election results. So let, let me let me let me put a double pin in it for a sec. Get a word okay. in. Okay, uh, I'm done. <laughs> oh, Murphy, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I went out and uh, uh, took a college course, but now I'm back. <laughs> Good. We need you better educated. What's going on in the federal R's, the governors are bonkers over it, most of them, a few are crazy, is a kind of a new discussion, though, privately, which is we're all afraid of Trump with primary voters, but Mitch and Pence have declared the war. You know, it's a quiet war, but they broke from us. So we got a mad dog out to kill us now. There is no appeasement. We don't want them to run again and jam up the primaries. We don't want to give them standing. There, there's no, like, accommodation strategy for Trump anymore. I, even the ones who want to be mini-Trumps deep down would like to have him 
politically beheaded and buried in two different states because he's in their way, too. So there's a new political consensus growing among a bunch of the R's. It's all very quiet, and it, it, it is then buttressed by some of them walking around that building and reminding themselves of why the hell they're there, and we cannot normalize or reward this behavior with Trump. It, it, it sets a new standard that others will imitate. And some of the smarter Republicans say, what if we invent through allowing this to be successful and tolerating it with a wrist slap and not a lot of action because we're afraid of primary voters? What happens when we get a Trumpian thug on the left, a Chavez? Because we've now created new rules of the game. Um, and there's the triple nightmare, ideological as well as rule of law. So, you know, we, we will see this is kind of like moving lava here, but it is a different world internally now with less options for them. Now, I, again, on 25th Amendment versus impeachment, a lot of, you know, there's a certain love of the 25th Amendment because you guys handle it in the cabinet, but it's not really the cabinet of steel. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of seat warmers there now from principals having quit and, you know, Pence, that's a hard calculus. But I, I think a Senate impeachment vote now would get a surprising number of Republican votes, many of whom voting just to, you know, it's like the old Hollywood joke about the drummer Buddy Rich, uh, who was brilliantly talented but incredibly abusive to a lot of people. So the old joke is, hey, Buddy Rich died. I heard there were 10,000 people at his funeral. For Buddy Rich, yeah, they all wanted to make sure he was dead. Well, that that could be the part of the new Republican equation. We're it seeing, could be. 17 votes. It may well be. I, I hope that's true. You know how Trump would depict that as an attempt to try and deprive him and his and his following of the chance to regain. You know, he would say this is rigging the game to try and keep me. Oh, totally. Yeah, he'd make a platform uh, out of running that it, in but the here, Southern District. Right. But he's got to be crushed. I mean, there's no option but to fight now if if you believe in America. Those people on the Capitol, Mike, they are, they, they you know, who were chanting hang Mike Pence, if they saw Mitch McConnell, they would have beaten the hell out of him. No, uh, no, I, I get it. I get you know, it. They, but they, you guys, there, there is this fissure, and the question is, you know how deep does that run and how uh and how do you deal with it and you you know the consensus you say is growing may be growing but but kevin mccarthy voted to overturn the election the republican leader of the house no they all did pre-riot i get and it told, i want to know after 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 the riot he came back yeah 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 and no, i know i know it's shameful he shouldn't be in congress well I, and he also told his it. caucus the other day that the president has taken responsibility like, you just heard the president this morning. Don't you think the only solve is the fight? Yeah. I mean, we can condemn them. I mean, but we there got to be more answers than vote Democratic because there's always going to be an opposition party. I think this is a an issue in part. It's an issue for the country, obviously, because yeah. we can't normalize political violence. It, but it's a big issue in the Republican Party because the Republican Party, to be honest with you, and you know this because you mentioned you, you were in a tiny minority for a long time. They accommodated this. And it isn't just now. I mean, this 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 movement that we see has its antecedents in uh, the Tea Party movement and a lot of other things that, you know, Republican establishment Republicans winked and nodded and accommodated. They rode the tiger. And now the tiger, as Churchill, to paraphrase Churchill, says the tiger's hungry. Yeah, look, we don't dis disagree with any of this, but it's route forward I'm interested in. So you either have to decide if you're going to, you know, you're Bremer. 
So you're in Iraq. You're going to lock up anybody who was part of the recent sins, even passively, like a lot of Republicans. And then who fills the vacuum? Guys you're not going to like. Um, and, you know, we I, I will say that uh, the, the it's just a question of whether your Republicans the, want to move on, Mike. I mean, well, that's if, the fight. If, well, that's if McCarthy, to, if, McCarthy have, if McCarthy is, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you guys before I'm on the board of the Harvard uh, IOP. Uh, Elise Stefanik, a representative from upstate New York, who was moderate, a moderate representative, was threatened by the right, became an outspoken opponent of the impeachment, and in this matter, uh, joined the effort to overturn the election, and in defending it, wrote publicly, uh, you know, just amplified charges that were demonstrably false, thrown out of court, uh, 140,000 illegal votes in Fulton County, Georgia, for example, um, and then was offended, you know, when uh, she was asked uh, to resign uh, from uh, from the Harvard board, you know, and said this is just, you know, the thought police and the woke left and so on. No, lying about you know, voting to overturn a, a, a fair election, lying about what happened in that election, putting logs on the fire. And she knows better. And most of those people know yeah, better. Yeah, she knows a lot better. I've been attacking her on Twitter for six months. It's unbelievable. But it, she is in a district that Democrats will never win. So the question is, who's the next Stefanik? What, what do we do about it? Because she's awful. She deserves maximum So you're saying there are going to be primary battles all over the country? Well, that's the only route. I mean, you know, we we can literally, you know, condemn them. I'm for it. I condemn them all the time. Hell, I blew up my career. But I, I, I <laughs> want to say you're with us forward here. I here know, you but are. I'm not you're on a Hex liberal. On tap, I, I, I know what he's saying. I don't saying. think he blew the, up his career. <laughs> your career is on the rise, Mike. What are you exactly. talking about? Yeah, this podcast, yeah, this yeah, you've yeah, never yeah, been yeah. better off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we will see. The point is, I think, and it's just a more interesting topic, what do we do now? What do the Democrats do to be more competitive with these, you know, disenfranchised voters? You know, one thing to study, and I don't know if it's an analog, but we, we have had political violence in modern America. We had it in 68, 69. It was more from the left. Things were blowing up, protests over the Vietnam War. Um, and so the country's been through something like this. The key is how do we cut its legs out from under it and stop it from growing? Because the whole our whole system was set up to stop the minority from feeling so oppressed they take to arms. That's the whole purpose of the federalist system. I don't system. know if I mentioned this to you uh, last week, but uh, I'm reading this book called Lincoln on the Verge, just came out. Uh, that's about the 14 days uh, Lincoln's trip from Springfield, or 13 days from Springfield uh, to Washington to take office. And the tension in the Capitol and the fear that mm -hmm. he would be assassinated along the way or assassinated at the Capitol because there were uh, because the Confederate uh, states uh, uh, believed that um, you know th they were acting patriotically um, and that uh, he was a menace um, and I thought you know that was this is the closest thing to that well no there, there's that. There's when they were worried that Huey Long would take to arms when he was going to make mm -hmm. a run at Rose. I mean, we've had here's the problem. Technology has advanced the technology of violence and the technology of spreading information so yeah. quickly that the same passions are there. But now the power tools are much scarier.
Well, and the, and, and the tools to organize. Totally. And so that, has, that is a new paradigm that is fertile ground for this stuff. So it has to be taken incredibly serious because it has the potential to be much bigger than the violent 60s, than that period. I mean, there are eight or nine of these little surges in American history. But this time it's like nuclear power. And I, can, so I agree that the threat could not be bigger. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. I was thinking the other day about how people like Sheldon Adelson, uh, the late who, Sheldon Adelson, he I know I was going to this yeah. is where I was going, felt about essentially funding uh, this Trump movement. I wondered how he would have felt seeing a guy in a Camp Auschwitz T-shirt and a movement that's basically uh, led in many ways by this QAnon group that is fundamentally anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who have been, uh, and I, I don't mean to pick on the dead, but there are a lot of people who were authors of this in some form or fashion that ought to do some soul searching. Well, I think a lot are. I mean, Holly's largest donors, Rick Cannon, guy was over a million to him. I, you know, here I had a text from an old friend of mine, and we disagreed violently on Trump, and he was in the Sheldon world. And after the, during the Capitol thing. Point is, you didn't disagree violently, but go ahead. <laughs> right, right. We, we disagreed metaphorically. The, the, I guess we can't use that metaphor anymore. <laughs> no, we Mauser. shouldn't. Um, point is, he texted me. We were wrong. I mean, uh, you know, he, I, I, he gets it. And he, he joined the Army of the Light right from the core of, of Sheldon World. So I, uh, I don't know. I, we'll I, see. I, I think, yeah, we can indict. That's fun. We can, but we have to litigate to win. What do you guys think that the uh, Congress should do about members who, you know, Mo Brooks was on the, he was at that rally, John, you were probably there. Uh, and, and basically he was as incendiary as Trump. Uh, and hours later, the same people he was speaking to attacked the Capitol. Uh, what do you do with a guy like that? And, Added to that question, what do you do with the fact that in his district, maybe in Stefanik's district, maybe in McCarthy, well, McCarthy is worried about his caucus, that there are actual, there may be political rewards for being sanctioned, censured by the House. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there's a number of things to say, right? One of which is that it's still the case to go back to our, you know, reality, 147 Republicans on Capitol Hill eight senators, 139 congressmen uh, and women who voted to again to, to try to overturn the election after the Capitol had been sacked by this by this group of insurrections last week. I mean, Mike, I agree with you. I mean, I think and, and now what we hear from from the Republican Party in at writ large is that we're calling for the call for unity. What we need to do is we need to unify and move on. We got to pull the country together now. Lindsey Graham and all these people who are like, don't impeach the president because we have to unify. I think you're right, Mike, in the sense that the fight is it's all about the fight now. And this gets back. I mean, this is your answer. to Your question, David, is I don't know what will happen. But if the Republican Party, you know, the fact that there's not a more serious discussion taking place within the Republican Party about expelling the handful of House members who clear who clearly were involved in planning that rally last week. I'm not talking about the ones who 
cheer even just you know were sympathetic i'm talking about the ones who are the planners you know the gosars of the world who were who seem to have been pretty complicit in what happened you know the fact there's not a serious discussion about ex- about expelling josh Hawley and ted cruz and the republican party uh, i i agree with mike that the hand of never trump republicans i don't want to say the hand's been strengthened by this it's not kind of sounds like the wrong way to put it but there's there's no question that 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 a lot of republicans who and especially in the Senate more than the House, were shaken by this event yes, last week. And I think you're right, Mike, that, they, that there's a larger quiet vote to convict Trump. But what you're not hearing is a wide, is the, I believe that the Civil War in the Republican Party has begun, but what you're not hearing is uh, serious discussions about, uh, about trying to do something uh, to, to, to bring some kind of, make, to really make accountable um, some of the members of the of the House and Senate, the Republican Party, who who clearly uh, have blood on their hands. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, you know, this is uh, that I, I'm I'm I think that the Republican Party wants to move on, and that's what what I think I have heard, and what a lot of a lot of the reporting coming off of the Hill is that there still is like right now, if you took the temperature of House Republicans right now, there's a lot of discussion of like. Well, a we got to back to you. We got to unite the country, and let's start talking about legislation we might pass and like move forward. There is not an appreciation, I think, among a lot of those elected Republicans, uh, or there's a desire to ignore just the the significance of what happened last week. And I so I don't think that I think on one level this is a a mo- could be a moment where the fight could begin within the Republican Party that could lead that could lead to some kind of change. On the other hand, I think there's also a possibility that this would be a moment the Republicans, as with so many other things in the Trump era when things got uncomfortable for them, where there's just going to be kind of like a lot of like move along, nothing to see here. Let's get back to let's get back to normal. Yeah, that's the nature of all politicians to avoid pain and risk of a primary. But you know, we're going to litigate a lot of this in 21 and 22 into the midterms where the stakes are high because we could actually win majority. And that that's where the fight's really going to be played out. I would love to have 10 men style Home Improvement Commission hearings. I'd like to throw Paul Gozar and about 20 of them out of Congress. But that's not realistic. Hell, the Arizona State Party just threw Cindy McCain out. Uh, and that's another problem. Half the state parties are controlled by crazy Trumpers. I mean, crazy Trumpers. The Alan West is the chair of the Texas Party, right? That's an who talked everything. about secession? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So this this is going to be a long, slow root canal. There's no overnight Sorkin movie ending where you know they prog march him out. I wish there was. I'd enjoy it. Uh, but it's going to be a long, low grind. And, and here here are the points. I mean, when in doubt, you got to fix the system. You don't want a fair fight with the entrenched. We've got to go to the. Uh, um, Jungle primary system, so you break the the hold of primary voters in fifty states. We got to redistrict some of these guys into more competitive districts, so they're not totally, you know, uh, in these bulletproof districts where they can a minority, a Republican primary minority in a red district, twenty thousand people steer them around where intensity is rewarded. We got to do something about Fox News. They got to change their business model, and there are ways to force them to do that. Uh, and we got to go to the money. They just uh, kicked out Martha McCallum and promised to put a more right wing uh, host in her place. So I don't know if they're uh, they, they they they're getting a different message, which is that they're losing viewers. I'm going to tip something that's coming, but it, 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 give me one minute for it because it it's interesting. So the economics of cable TV are not about ads. People think it's like broadcasting. We're going to boycott Tide. No, it's the cable fee. When you pay your bill every month, Fox gets a dollar. So 
why don't 20 million Americans stop paying their cable bill unless they have the opportunity to check off and have Fox pulled out of their bundle and pay 90 cents less a month? If 10,000 people do it, 10,000 people get their cable turned off. If 20 million people do it, uh, the world will change. And that can be organized digitally, and there's talk about it. That's an interesting idea. The other stuff you're talking about requires state legislatures right. uh, to act that in, in ways in which they may not feel is in their interest because they'll have to sacrifice some power if they make districts more competitive. Right. No, it's all a chore, you know, because politicians that are already in power like the status quo because they're in power. Yeah. And, and it's an unnatural act, an unnatural act to give yeah. to, 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 uh, to uh, water down your power. Well, listen, we, we got to get to some uh, mail, but before we do, Joe Biden completed his cabinet, and I know that you have a special <laughs> announcement. America can rejoice. <laughs> the great and fantastic <laughs> Governor Gina Raimundo is on her way to the Department of Commerce. So we have somebody who owns not only the best record, in my view, of any Democratic governor in America and Rhode Island, but the rare honorific of being one of the few national Democrats that I believe could actually pass a college-level economics test. So good news for America. Good news. Shrewd pick by Joe Biden. And congratulations, Gina. You did it. Yeah, and congratulations to you, Mike, because this was know, the culmination seriously. of a 18-month campaign. And um, I'm a fanboy, I admit it. I, I mean, admit I it. haven't asked the governor about this, but I'm sure she understands who the jet fuel behind this right. movement was. <laughs> Nothing to do with it, though. The rumors that I'll be an admiral in the Coast Guard now, I just simply can't comment on them at this no, point. No, I think uh, you, I, I have you slated to run the National Weather Service. I think you'd be fantastic. There's a three-word takeaway from Gina Raimondo's uh, ending up in the cabinet. Murphy gets results. Exactly. That's right. Maybe we should put you on That's the ballot. Right. Uh, you know, I almost ran in the New Hampshire primary a few years ago for president to make a documentary called Eliminate the Middleman, which I think would have been a fun kind of comedy stunt. <laughs> may still do it one day, so stay Yeah, tuned. why not? Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. Okay, if you have a mailbag question, send it to us at hacksontamp at gmail.com. Hacksontamp at gmail.com. That is the bat line, and we will read and check into your question. And then we pick a few uh, to read on the podcast. Also, don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts or even use the left-hand lower corner to hit that forward button and send people an episode so they can check it out. We appreciate that. All right, this question is for the one and only John Heilman from Bill. You meaning I think us, so if it's an insult, Heilman, you're off the hook, and pretty much everyone has identified the information silos, the lack of a shared reality as a major cause of our current issues. How does that get fixed? How do we get a source of news that a vast majority of people on both sides can trust? Great question. It is a big, it is a big question, Bill, and I think it's, you know, uh, I don't know that we're ever, in fact, going to, in a world where, um, where we have infinite bandwidth and infinite spectrum and, and the, the, the ability to narrow cast as the old world used to be, you know, the internet has given the capacity to do that. Michael, remember back in the, in the early days, like the MIT media lab and you would have Nicholas Negroponte promising <laughs> that one day we would have the daily me. And that's really what we have now. I mean, yeah. everybody just basically, they, they, they make their own, they make their own adventure. They make their own news. I don't think that's going to change. I do think what has to happen is that, 
um, is that the economic incentives for truth have to uh, have to uh, have to escalate, right? And I, I think this battle is not just inform- about information silos, but it's about misinformation and disinformation. And I think the the amount of as the as the scale of the problem of of genuinely fake news, not what Trump called fake news, but genuinely fake news of the lies, conspiracy theories. What we're going to see more of is is manipulated video, the deep fake problem. When all this manipulation becomes pervasive, there will be economic rewards that will uh, will go back. And we've seen this a little bit with places like the New York Times, which has obviously prospered in this era because it has basically said you can trust what you get here. I think the economic rewards to places that say. We are in the no bullshit business. We are in the truth business. We are in the non fake news business. That that I think is a an economic model that 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 is is going to be more and more attractive. And part of why I think it's it's it, it's not just being kind of um, uh, rose colored glasses here about this is what we have seen. I think the most heartening thing, maybe the only heartening thing of this last week since last Wednesday and the Capitol riot, um, has been the reaction of corporate America, which is like finally. And who knows how long this will last. I don't want to give them more credit than they deserve. But there is this actual Mm -hmm. uh, kind of awakening of a 9-11 style. This is a giant problem. And they are doing stuff, whether that's the social media platforms themselves and a lot of other big corporate donors who are like who are saying they're not going to give money to to candidates who uh, to to politicians who are part of one way or the other directly or indirectly fomenting the insurrection. That is a if, if if the corporate world steps up, recognizing that this problem is not just a political problem, but a society wide problem and starts to change the economic framework and incentives and in ways that will hopefully help our political dialogue, but also create economic incentives like putting their advertising dollars behind journalistic entities that care about the truth. That will be a big part of how we can get not to eliminating the voices on the left and right, because I don't think that's ever going to go away, but to start to put a, a thing where like being able to trust what you read, see and hear uh, will be economically viable in an environment if the, if the if advertisers are see that there's a virtue to that. And I think there's just a little bit of sunlight uh, in this last week that makes me a little more hopeful about that than I was before. Man, I'm glad we could eke out some hope from you. <laughs> After all that grimness. Tiny little bit. Well, it's a grim time, guys. You know. I know. It is. I, Liz, I, I'm with you. I don't like being grim. It's but I my... agree with what you just said. All right, Murphy. Maggie said, can you explain in layman's terms exactly what a Democratic Senate can pass with 51 votes aside from judges and what requires 60 votes? Sure. That is a great question, Maggie. So the Democrats are going to have a 51 seat with Vice President Harris casting the tie as the president of the Senate. Uh, so the good news for the Democrats is, well, one, when you have the majority, you control the floor, so you control what they fight over, which is a great messaging advantage. Second, you can pass judges. You can move them out of the Judiciary Committee because you control that. You put them on the floor and you pass them. Third, you are able to do a lot of budget things. Because the Dems have the House, they control the appropriators on that side. And then they can move spending bills to the Senate. And if they can hold all 51 together with some trick called reconciliation, because this is layman terms, I won't give you a migraine headache. But fundamentally, you have a lot of power over budget and taxation matters. Now, anything big, you need 60. That's hard. And the one problem, and to keep it layman, imagine 51 kindergartners, and you all got to get them to agree on what color lollipop to have. So if, if, 
Kindergartner Bernie says, unless I get my thing, I'm not with you. They can hold you up when it's only 51 points. Or Joe Manchin on the more conservative side. So it is, it's tight, and you got to hold them all together with, with senators. That is always not so easy, and there are ideological differences. But if Schumer can do that, or he can peel the occasional moderate Republican and have kind of a, a working majority there, it is, even though it's narrow, it's a bunch of power they haven't had before. That budget reconciliation point is really important. You can only do it a very limited number of times in an, in a legislative session, but um, you can, as long as you are, uh, the, the things that you are legislating on change, spending, revenues, uh, the debt limit, they can go into a reconciliation bill. And it wouldn't shock me to see Biden put his, if he doesn't think he can put 60 votes together in the Senate, put his uh, COVID relief package, his infrastructure package, some of the other spending initiatives uh, into a budget reconciliation uh, bill uh, uh, at the beginning of his uh, administration. And as you point out, just controlling the floor, getting your appointees voted on, uh, hugely important. We saw that during the uh, Obama years, the difference between the first two and the last six uh, so it, it it was a very big deal, those Georgia races. You got one for me? Yeah, and, but just quickly to tag that, of course, because life is apparently now chaos in America now, what will naturally happen is some senator will retire or health, God forbid, and there will be the world's biggest uh, special election to replace them or appointment disaster. I predict uh, Donald Trump Jr. will move to some state to run. You know, so <laughs> the, the, there will there will be more drama on this. But fifty one is a great thing for from a Democratic point of view to have. Uh, it, that's called the uh, that's called the Consultant Enrichment Act. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's generally a good thing. Though lately, I think most Republican consultants owe the party a big refund. Okay, for David from John, the Democrats now have the White House and a slim majority in the House and Senate. In light of the failure the Democrats faced in the 2010 midterms after Obama's first two years, what advice would you give Biden, Schumer, and Pelosi so that they don't experience the same failures at securing a majority once again in 2022? What did you learn and what should they do differently? Great question. Well, I'd say a few things about that. One is, I think Biden is facing a slightly different situation. It's it's not. It, it may be more challenging in some ways than the one that Obama faced, but it also holds out some hope. I, you know, I was a, a darker for Dem- Democrats on the midterms than I am right now, partly because the Republican Party is in disarray, but partly because um, what seems clear is that if you land this vaccine right and if you put this virus behind us. There is a lot of pent up energy in the economy and you may get a real economic boom in the second year of the Biden administration, which would be very helpful going into uh, the midterm elections. I also think that the virus itself sort of, you know, you've got to resist uh, an agenda that's so broad that you lose focus. Um, What's most important right now is dealing with the virus, dealing with the economic crisis the virus has caused. Um, And I think if he's seen as focused on that, uh, you know, there are other issues on his agenda, climate, and uh, there are social justice issues. I'm sure he will pursue those, and they're important as well. But the fundamentals that 
are universal in this country is the experience we're going through right now on the virus and the uh, and the economic dislocation, which, by the way, relate to uh, so social inequity and other issues and have highlighted them. But I just think keep focus on that. Make sure you get this virus, uh, the, the vaccine distribution right. Uh, make sure that you get a robust economic plan passed and, and underway. Uh, create a sense of positive motion. And where you can, I know this will not, again, uh, this will invite more uh, uh more um, social media reaction, not positive, but yeah, I think <laughs> you, if, where, you, where you can wor- where you can work with people on the other side, you should work with people on the other yeah. side, and you know there may be a receptivity on the part of more uh, of them to work with you. I'm not Pollyannish about it. I lived through the Obama years when there was a, a concerted effort to undermine him as a political strategy. And, you know, but I think that there are some people uh, who have signaled that they want to uh, to do this differently. So, uh, but the main thing is keep focus. And then the last thing I'd say is don't become, we, we did it, I thought we made a mistake and I was deeply involved in the White House at the time. But, you know, there was a sense that the president needed to be out all the time to show in that crisis to show, um, you know, that he was doing stuff. And sometimes he went out and he and the announcements were kind of prosaic. And presidents are narrators of a larger story. Make sure that whatever you do is in service of the story that you're narrating about where you want to take the country. Don't become the announcer of government actions. Become, maintain yourself as the narrator of a larger story about where the country's going. By the way, on this economic thing, the difference between now and then was we know why we're in an economic recession right now, and it's very much related to this virus. In 2009 and 10, we were in the midst of a uh, of a economic crisis that was created by a financial, uh, you know, financial shenanigans and collapse of the uh, the credit markets and so on. Uh, that was a much more difficult economics uh, challenge to solve, and it was never going to be solved in two years. Biden has a chance to do this quick and turbocharge the economy. He is sitting on great cards. If Biden can just give everybody a vaccination shot, he'll get a tremendous economic boost. Yeah, two. Well, depending, but two. Um, And then, you know, and, and if he can keep his left from defining the congressional party, uh, he'll be he'll be holding real cards. Easy strategy, hard to do as far as the vaccine execution. But the great thing about following a bunch of incompetent dregs led by a madman is, you know, not easy. I mean, not hard to be a lot better quickly. Heilman, you morose son of a gun. Uh, you have any final thoughts? I'm not. I'm, I'm going to get me unmorose. I do think that one of the interesting questions is, um, look, I think, is Mitch McConnell going to there's, there's one school of thought that is Mitch McConnell is going to remember very vividly the way in which his strategy of intransigence um, against Barack Obama uh, paid dividends for him and allowed him to get what he wants more than anything else, which is to get, get back in the chair of being majority leader. It took him two years. He was minority leader when you guys met him yes. in 2009. Yes. And he obstructed and then yes. he got rewarded. So there's there you know there's a good reason to think you know, McConnell, that that further. will be his strat that he was that will be that will be what he does again. I want is that do, do you know? But that is a large question. How will McConnell meet this moment, especially in the wake of what happened last week? Does McConnell, we, where he did in fact on Wednesday night, 
show a rare moment of kind of McConnell like as institutionalist doing the right thing as opposed to the self-interested thing. But obviously he probably thought it was in his self-interest to do that too. So I just want what McConnell's behavior is going to be like and how you cope with that if he goes into full-on obstruction mode. He's in the minority, but he can still cause a lot of problems for Joe Biden. And then the second big question, which is, you know, we saw Joe Biden as a candidate. We all remember what it was like in 2019 and for a decent chunk of 2020 where the Joe Biden has lost his fastball thing seemed evident, right? It was not like he was a he was not a strong candidate in 2019. He pulled it together. He won an incredible victory. But do we and he's been sharper, I would say, since election much, day than yeah, he was so. for, for a period of time. But what what Joe Biden do we now get in 2021? Because the scale of the challenges are really huge for anybody. And, you know, the Joe Biden of 2019 uh, was not, you know, Joe Biden of his vice presidency, for example, with Barack Obama, or is he really on point? He has a staff machine now he didn't have then, and that is critical. Yeah, and he's got he's got a great team around him, but I would also argue that he was trying to navigate he was trying to navigate a primary process that was uh, difficult uh, for him. He he seems to me like a guy who's who who is really embracing the role right now and uh, understands the, the what he's being called to do but and you also, know in a sense if you have good if you have a good team a good cabinet a good team around you uh and you are the narrator of the journey uh you know he may he may prove to be just the right person for this moment and he does have an ability to talk to a broad swath of americans which is very important right now but well, we he also we, he's we, in a situation because we have to stop speaking to right, a broad r- swath quick, of americans just quickly one, when in doubt, Joe called Gina. She'll tell you what to do. Second, <laughs> um, no, he less is more for him. If he can deliver vaccines, bring normalcy back, not set furniture afire in the White House and be insane, um, that'll get him a lot of the way. It's focus that'll be his friend. And I, I think I think he totally gets that. We'll see. But anyway, look, guys, I got to run outside and start digging my underground Heilman shelter <laughs> uh, for when the tanks roll up. Uh, 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 we're right Wilshire behind Boulevard. you brother yeah all so, right guys um, it's great good to, to see talk you all. to you as always happy new year yeah let's uh, pray and, for our country and yes. uh, reassemble on the eve of uh of the next uh, uh of the of the new presidency all of you guys stay safe in your undisclosed locations okay <laughs> will do and, and mike uh i'm sure i'm sure eric garcetti got a place for you in his private bunker so i'm, I'm actually in northern canada now i've i left oh. the country some time ago to, <laughs> you know i'm supervising the uh don't the, give the them restoration clues. and the comeback from my 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 foreign location like like lenin before i will take the sealed railroad car back to lead the uh republican revolt i will say murphy last night had a great idea which was the this notion that if we could engineer the secession of Hawaii and Alaska. Oh yeah, Pacifica. This and is my... start the new state of Pacifica, um, which is not just a tax haven. It's not just a tax haven anymore. We could all just you know summers in in Alaska. If we get rid of the Palins, you could do summers right. in Alaska, mm-hmm. fall, winter, and spring in Hawaii. That'd be a pretty great country. I had a girlfriend once who was from Alaska, and she told me a lot of the Alaskans go to Hawaii in the winter because it's air wise like the same or closer. So I coined this idea, Pacifica. We trade the lease on Pearl Harbor for being in the American defense umbrella, and we have a low income tax, and it's a haven. Now, we, we have to, like, mag the Alaskans at the, when they land to make sure they don't bring any spears or MAGA stuff. But I, I, we have the oil revenue. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's an idea whose time has come.
Well, uh, you know, that's the kind of practical thinking that people tune, <laughs> tune into Hacks on Tap for. I was going to say, right, you guys, we got to run. We'll see All you right, next boys, time. All right, boys, see you later. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>